All right, let's go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. All right. Every great drama has a villain, sometimes several. Storytellers call these villains antagonists. Their role throughout the entire story and throughout the entire plot is to antagonize, of course, the hero. That may involve engaging that hero directly or combating them and pulling strings behind the scenes. It could include intimidating and stalking and throwing obstacles into the hero's path or deceiving him or pretending to be an ally to him. If you think of any successful novel or film, you'll be able to identify the villain immediately. They embody the wickedness of classic conflicts between good and evil. Yet the most insidious and potentially destructive nemesis in any plot is the villain who appears to be the hero. Today we meet the villain. One wrote about this villain and he said, This man will be history's vilest embodiment of sin and rebellion. But don't expect him to look like that. I'm guessing that his eyes won't glow red. He won't be dressed head to toe in black with 666 tattooed on his forehead. And steam rising from his body as he walks by. You'd be more likely to see our antagonist, on the cover of Time magazine or giving guest lectures at Ivy League universities or standing in the symposium of the United Nations. He will be suave, he writes, intelligent, engaging, magnetic, and charismatic. What's more, he will do what no other man has ever been able to do before. He will bring global peace he will solve the Middle East peace puzzle. He will rid the world of terrorism. He will rid the world of sickness. He will be so successful that he'll be hailed as the greatest peacemaker who ever lived. No doubt he will win the Nobel Peace Prize. Teachers will have little school children singing his praises, he writes. He will even be pers uh, even persuade the Jewish nation and the Arabs nations to sign pe a peace treaty, paving the way for the construction of the long-awaited third temple there on the mount in Jerusalem. For he will bring the whole world together. That is a sentiment that we're hearing everywhere today. This isn't just some lofty idea that is being discussed amongst academics. It's in our daily newspapers today. Just recently, our friends at the WEF, the World Economic Forum, noticed this article, it should be on the screen behind me. As Klaus Schwab came before them all and desires for a one-world governance, Klaus Schwab tells global leaders to collaborate for world governance. As the article stated, he said, the time has come for world governments to unite as one 
and tackle global problems such as climate change, trade, economic disruption without hindrance or delay. The World Economic Founder and Executive Chairman Klaus Schwab announced. Now, you may think, well, this is just craziness. Let us be clear. In my lifetime, I have never seen an organization that has had worldwide impact like the World Economic Forum. And studying Bible prophecy for over 35 years now, I've never seen an infrastructure created such as the infrastructure created by the WEF that the Antichrist, who is our antagonist, can capitalize upon. Now, you know that what we're reading is true. Why? Because Newsweek, after all of this happened, stated this New World Order remarks at Davos has sparked a flood of conspiracy theories. You know what that means? It's going to come true. Remember how often we were told, oh, it's just conspiracies. Those people are crazy. And now we find that it's all come true. They just want to pigeonhole us. Tell us that we're nuts. They want to gaslight us. But see, you and I as Christians, we know what's going on, don't we? You know why? Because of this book right here. And this what, because of this book, we should not be deceived. I said should because it's up to us. Study this book like never before. From Genesis to Revelation, know your world through the lens of this book. This will keep you grounded and stable in an unstable world. This book will change your life. Jesus said, I call you my friends, and all that the Father is doing, I'm going to let you know about. And do, and do me a favor, will you? If, if you uh, insist on watching YouTube videos to gain your theological perspectives, for every hour you spend on YouTube, and some of you, let's be honest, you probably spend more, okay? Every hour you spend on YouTube, two hours in the Word, okay? Because whatever is said on YouTube must be checked by this book. We need to know the truth. We cannot simply depend on others to give us the truth. Even what we say here at Calvary, I ask that you would go back as Bereans and see if it's accurate for yourself. This is so important because we live in a world of deceptions. One historian years ago wrote this, the great Arnold Tonaby. He says, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons... And at the same time, making the world more and more independent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of distress that we are ripe for the deifying of any new Caesar who might succeed in giving the world unity and peace. Meaning the world is primed and ready for what is about to come next. This is so important, guys. Now, many of you may be asking, it's like, well, why are we concentrating on the villain, the antagonist, the Antichrist? Well, that's a good question. 
Now, we here at Calvary believe that the church will be removed before the rise of the Antichrist comes into place. But John tells us in 1st, 2nd John that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. And we see that. The spirit of Antichrist is rolling over this world like a tsunami today. But that's a good question. Why should we? Here's reason number one, okay? The Bible dedicates a lot of time to this man. Now, he is a man. We are not talking about the personification of evil. We're talking about an actual man that Satan will use as this villain, this antagonist in the last days. That he himself will fill to bring about calamity upon the world. Paul talks about the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians. John talks about it in 1 and 2 John and Revelation. Daniel talks about the Antichrist. So as we go through the Word of God, we are going to be confronted with these verses that talk about the Antichrist. So if the Bible talks about it, we talk about it. That's just a rule we have here. Okay? But the additional reason is... I think that we need to be aware of why evil is just abounding so rapidly in our world today. And that's what it is. This is pure evil that we see happening around us today. This plotting, this you know, strategic planning, the lies and deception, the propaganda that we've been fed for the last three years through our mainstream media. This is evil. The mutilation of our children in transgender surgeries. This is evil. Let's call it what it is. This is evil. This is evil. And if we as the church, Christians, don't stand up in the gap for these little children, nobody's going to, obviously. We've got to call it for what it is. Hey, I'm all about hating the sin, loving the sinner. Absolutely. But let me be honest, enough's enough. We've let this go on too far. And we need to look at this collectively and say it's time now that we stop our bickering and divisions amongst our Christian brothers and sisters and say, you know what? The enemy is growing. You know why? Because the people who are pursuing these things are lost and the one whom they are following does not love them. He hates them and wants to destroy them. And you and I know for sure who does love them. It's our Savior Jesus. It's all about Him. So we come to the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we are introduced now to our antagonist here in our looking at the book of Revelation on Sunday morning. Now, we're going to read some wild things, okay? So be prepared. Be prepared. But the thing about the Bible is this. It is the inspired word of God, and if God says it's going to come to pass, guess what? It's going to come to pass. You can take that to the bank. You might not want to put it in our current banking system. You can take that to heart. Okay? So let's dig into it. You guys ready? 
Then I stood on the sand of the sea, John writes, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I, which I saw was like a leopard. His feet was that of the feet of a bear, and his mouth was that of like a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it has been mortally as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in the blaspheme against God to blaspheme his name his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwelled on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we ask that you'd speak to us through your word. Father, we don't like to give this guy any more time than we need to, but you brought it to our attention. So help us to learn, Lord, and not to be deceived. Father, we just pray, Lord, that we help, uh, help us to understand that this is what the world is r- rushing towards, Lord. And those who do see the Antichrist and his rise to power will be the generation that will be put into a time of tribulation like the world has never seen before. Father, I don't pray that for my worst enemy, and I pray that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ before that. So, Lord, speak to us now, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. John begins and says, I stood on the shore, on the sand, I should say, of the sea. This is a term that is used throughout the Bible to indicate that John is now looking over the sea of humanity. The one that we will see arise to power that we know as the Antichrist, and I think it's important now that we talk about that term. Though that term is not used in the book of Revelation, it is used by John, the same John who wrote Revelation in 1 John and in 2 John. The term Antichrist doesn't mean just simply the opposite of, which he is, but it also means one who uh, desires to be in place of. The Antichrist desires to be in place of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the Antichrist is going to do everything he can do to hinder the work of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus told us about the devil, that he has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
But Jesus told us that he has come to destroy the works of the devil. The Antichrist will be the embodiment. It'll be that moment in history that Satan stands within a human and brings the world into utter tribulation. He's a man. He's not a simple spirit, or as I said earlier, the personification of evil. He is a man that will be filled with Satan. Secondly, John tells us in verse 1 that, and I saw a beast. Now, he's not describing his physical characteristics. I believe that the Antichrist is, well, frankly, going to be a good-looking guy. He's going to be pleasing. He most likely will occupy the front pages of many newspapers and magazines. Some may have posters of him in, his, in their room saying, Oh, what a dreamboat. He's going to be a person that will be admired by many. He will inspire many. He will lead many to destruction. But the term beast describes not his physical characteristics, but his inward nature. And I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute because it is associated with a verse and description that we find in the book of Daniel. As Daniel is given by God the descriptions of various empires that will arise and how those Empires are described by various animals. However, though, when describing the characteristic of the Antichrist, he is not a leper, a leopard. He is not a bear. He is a beast. And that should give us all the warning that we need to be aware and on guard. Rising up out of the sea, meaning this beast will come out of the sea of humanity. Now notice having seven heads and ten horns, on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. What in the world is he talking about here? Aren't you glad that we are not left alone to try to subjectively interpret these things, but we believe here at Calvary the best way to interpret the Bible is by the Bible. And God told us exactly, he gave us the key to understanding of the book of Revelation in the book of Daniel. To understand Revelation, we must understand the book of Daniel. So you need to read the book of Daniel. If you haven't read it, you got to read it. It's a great read. You know what? Just go ahead and do it right now. We'll wait for you. It is so important. Because Daniel calls this individual... A little horn. In fact, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, we read this. As Daniel was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one. Doesn't sound cute at first? Oh, he's just a little one. Coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out of by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This is the Antichrist. Now, what about the language that's being used here? 
The term horn means authority in Hebrew. It often referred to a king. And this depiction coincides with the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. He was given a dream by God in Daniel chapter 2. Troubled by the dream he was given, he commissioned his his soothsayers and uh, philosophers and historians and so forth, his wise guys, not only to tell him what the dream meant, but more specifically, he tested them, saying, not only do I want you to tell me what the dream meant, Nebuchadnezzar said to his guys, but I want you to tell me the actual dream. Because if you just tell me the interpretation, you could just be fabricating something and it could be wrong and I, could, I don't know if I can trust it or not. But if you can tell me my dream and its interpretation, I'll listen to you. Well, of course, they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Their wisdom did not go that far. Now, these were the most learned, educated people from out the whole entire world. For the Babylonian Empire covered most of the world at that time, and they drew in from all of those various nations in whom they had conquered and tried to capitalize upon the wisdom and intellect that these individuals had to offer. But it, went, it goes to show that the wisdom of this world only goes so far, doesn't it? There's a lot of very intelligent, wise people in this world. They're just hard to find. No. (laughs) And yet, for some reason, even after everything that we've experienced, we still haven't seemed to learn the fact that even an expert can be wrong. We haven't learned that an expert can be corrupted. Be persuaded by other things than just simple uh, ethics and morality. They would never betray us. They would never lead us wrong. Nebuchadnezzar was saying that to his guys. He was saying, look, you guys could tell me anything. So you got to tell me the dream first. And then he gave him an incentive. Either you tell me the dream or I'm going to chop off your head. And they couldn't. So off with their head. He cut them from the payroll. That's it. Over and done. Burned down their houses. Well, see, Daniel was out with his... Uh, out, uh, he, he wasn't in the midst of them at that time. And it came to Daniel's attention what had happened. And Daniel said, hey, listen, I, I don't know what he had dreamed, but the God in whom I serve does. Give me a moment to consult with my God and let's see if he would not answer Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he, of course, as you know the story, God gave Daniel the dream. God gave Daniel the interpretation. It was that of a statue. The head of gold, the head of gold represented the Babylonian empire led by Nebuchadnezzar. The body then was that of silver, which represented the Medes and the Persians that would succeed the Babylonian empire. Then there was a waste of bronze, which represented, of course, the Grecian empire. And then there were two legs of iron, which represented, of course, the Roman Empire. But then there were ten toes that were mixed with iron and clay. It is these ten toes that are referred to in these ten horns. 
And as the world was uh, led by the Babylonian Empire, and then the Medes and the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans, the Romans never being conquered, just, of course, the Roman Empire eroded from the inside out. They just dissipated. But these ten toes represents one last empire to rule the world. Ten nations, led by ten kings, with a small individual from one of those kingdoms in the shadows, behind the scenes. Maybe the chief of staff or the personal assistant too. Just someone lurking in the background, this small little horn. But a time will come when that little horn will emerge onto the scene. And when he does, he will destroy three of the original ten and take his position as the one world leader over this last confederate empire throughout all the world. He'll rise to power in a way that will seem like a shooting star. He'll come onto the scene and just seem to wow everybody. And he'll come out of obscurity. That's, that's what this language means. He'll come from a small place, a small individual. And you may be saying to yourself, well, does that really happen in our society today? Let me ask you a question. If you were born in 2004, and I have to say that today because we have so many young people. Uh, if you were born in 2004, I can almost guarantee you that you never heard of a gentleman named Barack Obama. You never heard of him. A, a, a community leader here in the Chicagoland area, you had no idea in 2004 who he was. Remember, we were embroiled in Iraq. The Bush administration was leading us in the direction that it was leading us. We had no idea of who Barack Obama was. And then all of a sudden, he became a senator, seemingly out of nowhere, for what, nine months? And then became president for two terms in such a short period of time. He went from obscurity to the most powerful man in the world in the course of a, a decade? Pretty amazing, huh? Now, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist. Well, maybe. No, he, I'm not saying that. But we see that it's possible, don't we? That such a thing is possible. That one can come from obscurity. And when he does, he will have, it says, like the eyes of a man. Meaning he'll be in human form because he is human. But it also equates that he has great wisdom. And he'll speak pompous words against our God. Daniel also calls him in Daniel 8.23, a king of fierce consonant. Meaning, as he, Daniel writes, in the latter times of their kingdom, speaking of these ten, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemings. He's going to be brilliant. He's going to have answers to the deepest questions of humanity. He's going to look to be someone that can do what no one before him has ever done. 
And he will be one of fierce features, meaning he's going to be very intimidating in his persona. Have you ever met an intimidating person? And they don't even necessarily mean to be. Maybe they're just taller than you. You know, when I meet people who are taller than me, I always say to you, do you enjoy talking down to me? But it's intimidating, right? This individual will be like that. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, he is the prince that shall come. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, Daniel states, but not for himself. And the people and the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now I want to Let's take a moment of pause here because I think it's important that you understand how Hebrew prophecy is interpreted. Now, scholars, especially those in the secular world or in the liberal theological world, have a great problem with Daniel. Here's the problem. You ready? It's too accurate. It's too accurate in its prophetic fulfillment. And therefore, they conclude that it must have been written after the fact because no way could Daniel have ever been so accurate in his predictions of those things that are yet to come. You know what? They're right. Daniel couldn't be that accurate. I agree. But the God in whom Daniel serves is right on. Perfect. You see, God sees everything that's happening throughout humanity all at one time. He sees the, the beginning, the middle, and the end all at one time. It's a physics nightmare, if you will. And therefore, he can tell us the end from the beginning. If I was standing on the Sears Tower, again, I refuse to call it the Willis, and I'm looking down at the parade, okay? If I was simply standing on the street, I could only see the portion of the parade that was going by me at that particular time. Constantly looking to see, oh, is Santa coming, you know? But God sees it from his point of view. This is a very uh, elementary, you know, uh, illustration, but I think it satisfies the, the, the purpose. He sees the beginning of the parade, he sees the middle of the parade, and he sees the end of the parade. If I was standing there, I would see the same, right? I could see it all the way down the street. I could see the beginning and the end. That's what God does. So then, he reveals to us through his word. Now, he's not like other prophets, okay? Well, 70% is good enough. Well, 60%. And they they haven't even gotten to 60 or 70%. Other religions in the world won't even touch prophecy because they're wrong all the time. But God is right 100% of the time. And if God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen because he sees everything at one time. So as he sees these things unfold, he tells us in advance what these things shall be. In Hebrew prophetic interpretation, there's often a short-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. The short-term fulfillment of this, of course, was... The man, Anicus Epiphany, coming into Jerusalem and desecrating the temple through the Greeks. 
And many scholars say, well, this was all fulfilled in the person of Anicus Epiphanes. And I say, yes, it is fulfilled. Well, that's the end of the discussion. Well, no, not really. Because I have it on good authority that something like this will happen and it will be the, uh, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. Well, what authority do you have that would indicate that? Well, you know, he, he's a carpenter. Uh, he only lived 33 years, never went to higher education. Oh, he did, by the way, claim to be the son of God. God himself, and his name was Jesus. He lived 2,000 years ago, never left Israel more than going to Egypt. But he didn't do that voluntarily. His parents took him. He said to his disciples in Matthew 24, he, sees when, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, that is this point in history that we're looking at now in Revelation chapter 13. Here's what I'm saying. You guys okay? Here's what I'm saying. That it is still yet to be fulfilled. Whatever Anicus Epiphanes did at that time was a mere type of a shadow of what's ultimately going to happen. And what's ultimately going to happen is that the Antichrist is going to stand in the third temple built and Demand to be worshipped as God. That's what's going to happen. That's what he's talking about here. This prince who is to come. He'll bring an end to sacrifices. He'll bring an end to the city. And he'll demand to be worshipped. I'll let you go back and read Daniel 9 for yourself. Jesus said of this one, he is the one who is coming in his own name. John 5.43 Jesus told his, the people, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the son of perdition. He said, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. All right, here's your homework question. There's only one other person in Scripture called the son of perdition. Do you remember who that was? Dun, 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 dun. Judas. So what did Judas and the Antichrist have in common? I'll tell you. Do you know Luke tells us that Satan entered Judas before he betrayed him? As Satan will enter the Antichrist... Before he deceives the whole world, the son of perdition. But notice with me as we go back to our text. Now the beast which I saw in verse 2 was like a leopard. His feet was like a feet of a bear and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave, the dragon is in Revelation 12. Who's the dragon? Oh, come on. Satan. The, Satan gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Now notice with me, if you read here, you will see that the various animals that are used here to describe 
the Antichrist, were all found back in the book of Daniel. And back in the book of Daniel, we see that this individual embodies all of the characteristics of the empires previous. Notice what one commentator said. He said this, All of these creatures, or empires, referenced here in Revelation 13, are the embodiment in the Antichrist, embodied, excuse me, in the Antichrist. The splendor of Babylon, the cruelty of the Medes and the Persians, the speed of Greece, the might of Rome. Looking back on these past rulers, the pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, the Caesars, Napoleon, Hitler, all were forerunners of the coming prince who we've talked about here. Drawing on the raw power of Satan himself, he will harness the economics and the technological power of the world, bringing about a one-world economy, a one-world government, and a one-world religion. He will lead the mother of all evil empires. I wish I could have that Star Wars music right now. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, this is it. And Daniel warned us, and he told us to look forward. Now, just for your sake, as you go back to read the book of Daniel, you will find that what Daniel is describing, what John is describing here in this language concerning the seven heads, ten horns, and so forth, all link back to the Roman Empire. The city that sets in the seven hills, which was Rome at that time. And from this empire that never was conquered or destroyed, later on in the last days, from that, the remnants of that empire, which by the way represented in the two legs, we know that the Roman Empire was divided east and west. And so in the last days they come together. And in these ten toes, these ten nations, lurks a little horn behind the ten leaders who will come to power. He will kill three of the original ten and he'll take his place in world history. And as one would slip their hand into a glove, so Satan will slip himself into the Antichrist at a very interesting time, it appears. Notice with me what John says. In verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all of the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Does that sound familiar? Who is like God? Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? What is happening here? Well, it appears that something is going to happen to the man who will uh, be embodied by Satan himself. It appears that there will be some type of attempt on his life, that it will look like an assassination. He will appear to be dead and then come back to life again. Hmm. 
I think I read that somewhere else. Let us understand this. If you want to know something about Satan today, please know this. Satan is not a creator. He's a counterfeiter. God is the ultimate creator. Satan just counterfeits what he's already done. And when he is struck in the manner that he is struck, it'll appear that he is dead or mortally wounded. It'll appear as if he's dead. Now, going back to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah eleven seventeen, gives us a little insight in what type of wound this will be. As Zechariah writes, he says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. That's what's going to happen to the Antichrist, for he is the woeful shepherd. Jesus is our true shepherd. He is our woeful, the imitation, the wolf in sheep's clothing, if you will, that will lead the world in deception and destruction. But then it's going to appear that he comes back to life. Now, will he actually die and come back to life? Well, we don't know. It says it looks like he's mortally wounded. But I can totally see CNN or MSNBC. Oh, our fearless leader has been killed. He has been killed. And then maybe three days later, they get back on. He's risen again. He is risen again. You know, I know you don't believe that of our mainstream media. They would never put out fake news, would they? They would never do that. But can't you see something like that happening? And all the world will come together. Notice what it says here, that his deadly wound was healed, and all the world will marvel and follow the beast. So what they worshipped, the dragon, the one who actually gives him power, who gave him authority to the beast and, and worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? <clears throat> he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. It is at this time that Satan enters the, the, the beast, the Antichrist. It is at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, the halfway point. 42 months now, he leads the world and plunges it into utter chaos in the period we know as the Great Tribulation. In verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, blaspheming his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And notice with me in verse 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, except whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. I have been told so often, Pastor, when I see the rapture of the church, I'll accept Jesus. I'll receive Jesus. 
If I see the rise of the Antichrist after everybody disappears, I'll accept Jesus. If I see a temple being rebuilt in Israel, I'll accept Jesus. If I see utter, you know, natural calamity and disasters come upon the earth, I'll accept Jesus. If I see an individual that's asking people to receive a mark on their forehead and on their hand, very interesting, where was the wound of the Antichrist? The head and on his hand. Where is the mark? The head and the hand. We'll talk about that more next week. Now look, listen to me. Let me be straight up with you. If you can't live for Jesus Christ today, how in his precious name will you die for him then? Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for these things. It is going to be absolutely chaos. You think it's bad now. Just wait till he gets into power, okay? There isn't going to be any dispute over an election of the Antichrist. He's going to come to power. And notice it says it's granted to him. God allows this to occur. Notice that God has to allow Satan to do anything that Satan wants to do. God will not allow Satan to harm you in the sense that he is unbridled, unrestrained. Even when Satan came after Job, God said, yeah, you can come after him, but you can't take his life. He's limited by God. Now, God may ask for our lives. He may ask that we lay down our lives. In fact, he does already. He says, lay down your life for me as a living sacrifice. We may be led to that point that we martyr our life for Jesus Christ, but God will be with us every step of the way. As Stephen was martyred, who waited for him standing in heaven? It was none other than Jesus himself. But Satan is constrained by God and, will God and can only do what God allows him to do. He's limited. He's limited in what he can do. And notice with me, if anyone here... I said that the way I wanted to. If anyone has an ear, anyone here who has an ear, let me say it that way, let him hear. Listen up now. And here's the promise to those saints that will be martyred during the tribulation. He says, he who leads into captivity himself will go into captivity. For the end of the Antichrist, the false prophet who will meet next week, and the Antichrist, and Satan himself, if I didn't say that already, is that they will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. It may seem like he's going to come to world prominence and power, and he is going to come to world prominence and power, but it's going to be very short-lived. And then he will be cast down finally. Those who were killed by the sword, God will hold them accountable, and they too shall die by the sword. And he says, here is the patience of the faith of the saints. I like what Chuck Swindoll wrote. I, I really appreciate Chuck Swindoll. Notice, just listen to me for a moment. 
He says, pause now for a moment. Try hard to imagine yourself as one of those faithful saints enduring those fateful days. They will be sometimes huddled together for mutual defense and sometimes stand alone before their persecutors. Think about that. And to enter their existence as you allow your imagination to run free. How might they feel during their time of trial? And how will they endure? Think about that for a moment. Think about your family members who don't know the Lord going through this time, subjected to this type of persecution, this type of tribulation. Think about your children who may not know the Lord. Think about them going through their time or their children, your grandchildren, going through this time. In doing so, if they don't know the Lord, I hope that you will stop what you're doing, get on your knees, and cry out to God, say, God, save them, please, before this day. I want to close this morning with one of the saddest statements I have heard in a long time. The depth of the deception found in this statement is the type of deception that will be experienced during this tribulation period under the reign of the Antichrist. I think all of us know what has recently occurred at Target. I think all of us were horrified by what they were carrying and displaying and marketing to little children. You want to talk about evil? That's evil. And, the, and I'm so happy that the nation came together. This is more than just Christians. And said enough is enough. And how much did they lose? Twelve, nineteen billion dollars? Amen. They should lose every penny of that. But the owner of that clothing line, Eric Carnell, who personally claims to be a Satanist, they don't even hide it anymore, do they? I'm a Satanist and I'm coming for your kids. No, you're not. Wait, stop. Right? It ain't happening. You come after my kids and I hope God gets you to, uh, to you before I do, okay? Enough's enough, guys. This is just pure evil. He's a Satanist. And he came out with a tweet to his friends and the LGBT plus community. I put on the screen behind me. Listen to his words. He wrote in his tweet after this, he said, Satan loves you and respects you and respects, excuse me, who you are. You're important and valuable in this world and you deserve to treat yourself with love and respect. LGBT plus people are so often referred to as being a product of Satan or going against God's will. So fine, we'll hang with Satan instead, he says. Satanists, he says, don't actually believe in Satan. (laughs) This is the key cornerstone doctrine of Satanism. Satanists don't actually believe in Satan. He is merely used as a symbol of passion, 
pride, I bet, and liberty, he means to you what you need him to be, uh, need him to mean. So for me, Satan is hope, compassion, equality, and love. So naturally, Satan respects pronouns. He loves all LGBT plus people. And then he goes on to say, I went with various, uh, a variation of the uh, Bethlehemet, which is a uh, figure in Satanism, for this design. A deity who himself is a mixture of genders, beings, ideas, and existence. They reject binary stereotypes and expectations. Perfect, he says. This man is so deceived. Satan doesn't love you. He hates you. I know you didn't expect to come to church and be told that someone hates you. (laughs) Satan hates you. He wants to destroy you, and he's doing a good job at destroying our society. If there had been any question about where these things are originating from, I hope that this clears that up. There is no question that the ideologies found in wokeism is not something simply manufactured in this world. It's something that Satan has created to deceive people and to draw them away. The only one who truly loves you is Jesus. And he demonstrated that in a far superior way. Okay, just because someone allows you to do what you want to do doesn't mean that that person loves you. Satan may allow you to do what you want to do, but that isn't love. He's just permitting you to do that. So you destroy yourself. You're being deceived. You think you're doing something good, but in the end, it's destruction. Satan hates you, folks. He's coming after us. He, and this isn't me speaking. This is the Bible. The Bible says he comes after us like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. He's coming after our kids. I take that personally. It's pure evil. To be told that Satan loves you is ridiculous. He hates you. But now that's the bad news. Let me tell you the good news. That's our antagonist. That's the villain. But we have a hero in this story. And this hero was born in obscurity and yet heralded by a star that shines so brightly that they saw it by the surrounding nations. He was born in a barn in complete and utter humility. He came into this world not to be served, but to serve. And he demonstrated in and through his life the perfect picture of God. And he came for one purpose, to die on our behalf. From the very beginning to the very end, It was set on the stage before the foundations of the world that an hour was set for this individual, our hero, to die for the sins of the world. And you know what God said about this individual, our hero, that we know as Jesus? That the world may know that God loves us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in Him shall not die but have everlasting life. You want to escape the wrath of God to come? 
You want to find for yourself real truth, a real relationship. You want to be washed clean and set free from your guilt and condemnation and the sin that keeps you so far in bondage. I'm not allowing you to live the life that God wants you to live. So many people say, oh, I'm living life to the fullest. Baloney. You're merely surviving. You don't know what life is until you meet Jesus. Until you meet Jesus. I don't care who you are today. I'm going to say this. If God can save me, you're no problem. You're no problem at all. I don't know about all of you. God brought you here today for this appointment with Him. But what you're looking for, you'll never find in the world. What you're looking for, you'll never find in human relationships. What you're looking for is Jesus. And you probably don't even know it. But there's a problem, folks. And the reason you haven't been able to connect, the reason you haven't been able to enter into that relationship, and here it is, listen up, is because of your sin. Your sin separates you from God. Now, we're all sinners. All sinners in need of a Savior. All of us are. But that's what keeps us from God. Until we deal with that, we are destined for the tribulation. We are destined to an eternity apart from God in a place that He created for Satan and His angels, a place we know as hell. And you say, why would a God of love who loves me so much send me to hell? God doesn't send you there. You willfully go there. Because I asked you the question this morning, what more could God do for you? He sent His Son. He came down Himself to die on your behalf. The death that you deserve, He took for you. He took for you that you may live. Oh, you may die physically. You may close your eyes here, but guess what? You're going to open them in heaven with God, and it's going to be like, oh my goodness. You're going to be speechless. You're going to be like, what? I love people who tell me, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask them all these questions. Baloney. You're going to fall on your face before God. And we're going to try to pick you up. You're like, no, this is too awesome. But it doesn't start the moment you leave this world. It starts the moment you come to Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now. I want everybody to bow their heads. Heavenly Father, you know each and every person here today. You brought them here. And we're so thankful that they are here with us today. To hear your word and those things that are still yet to come. Father, you brought them here today. And if they do not know you, Lord, you brought them here for that purpose. That you brought them here to know that Satan hates them. But Jesus, you love them. And you died for them. And if they will believe on you, they will enter into eternal life. Eternal life isn't simply the life we lead after we die. Everybody exists after they die. Some exist in heaven, others exist in hell. 
It's where we exist for eternity that matters. And the only way to get into heaven is through Jesus. Now you may be, Lord, speaking to people's hearts this morning. Maybe they've got questions. Maybe they know that this world doesn't have the answers that they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for something more. Father, and you brought them here because that more is you. The world has told us that we can't find anything in you, that you are hindering the, the progressive aspect of our society. Yeah, you're hindering it all, right? Because it's leading people to destruction. Father, you brought these people here, Lord. If there's anyone here today who would like to give their life to Christ, to have their sins washed away and dealt with once and for all, to be alleviated of that guilt and condemnation that they may have been experiencing in their hearts. If they feel empty inside, Lord, and they've been looking to fill that emptiness with something of this world, Lord, only you can do that. And the life that we have in you begins that moment that we cry out to you. So, Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would meet us here today. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, is working through the hearts of these individuals, telling them and convicting them and showing them their need for Jesus. I pray that you would open their eyes that have been blinded by the ruler of this world, Satan himself, that they would see and come to know you, the one who truly loves them and died for them and gave it all for them, that they may live. If you're here today, I just pray you'd pray, just pray with me silently. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for all that I have done that has offended you. Father, I, I don't know everything about you. I, I'm here today, and I'm confused, and I'm, I feel lost, Lord, but I find myself sitting here today being given this offer, and I want to receive it. Open my eyes to the truth, Lord. Let me not be deceived. Forgive me and wash me clean of my sin. Father, I accept Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. I've been running away from Him my whole life, and now I desire to come back to Him today. Father, I just pray that You would impress upon those hearts that have prayed that prayer and you now begin that new work in them, that new life in them and that they would finally be at peace and know joy and the love that only you can give them. And Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.